Please stand while we read God's Word. This morning's Bible uh, reading will come from Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. And the Bible reads, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nehemiah, all they that were, had separated themselves from the people of the land under the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren and their nobles, and they entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commands of the Lord our God, the Lord our Lord, and the judgments and his statutes. Please be seated. It is such a joy to have everyone with us today, especially our guests. Guests, if you don't mind, please take those cards that you filled out, pass them to the inside aisle, and be picked up at this time. Please keep your Bibles turned to Nehemiah chapter 10. We'll be reading from there often this morning. Nehemiah chapter 10. Before we get into our lesson today, let me remind you that if you are going to Lands to Leaders in Dallas in April, uh, if you have a child going to Lands to Leaders in Dallas, you need to attend one meeting. That meeting is today at 5 o'clock over in Classroom 118. Please attend that meeting today at 5 o'clock in Classroom 118. The young preacher student, shortly after moving into his new apartment, came to realize fairly quickly that his next-door neighbor was somewhat like a, an odd duck because this woman never, ever left her apartment. Ever left her apartment. She suffered from agoraphobia, a, a fear of open spaces. So everything she needed, groceries, medicines, whatever, she had delivered to her apartment. And when the delivery man would arrive and ring her doorbell, she would open her door just wide enough to let the package in, and then she would quickly close the door. The young preacher student uh, often played tennis at the uh, tennis courts next to the apartment building. And very often as he would play the game of tennis, he would look up to the balcony the balcony that belonged to the, uh, the woman, his next-door neighbor. And she would, of course, have the curtains drawn closed. But many times he would see just a really tiny crack, and he could see little eyes just peering out between the curtains. The woman was watching the world go by, but watching it at a distance. The young student thought how sad this is, that so much is happening all around her, and she has no involvement at all. Is the church ever like that woman? Do we stay in these four walls, safe and secure from the world, but do we fail to interact and make a difference in the world? Do we observe our community behind closed curtains, bemoaning culture as it changes from the bad to the worse, and criticizing our community? 
I think that's especially true as our culture has become more and more hostile to biblical values. Because remember, we're called to impact our community. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, he said, You be like a city set on a hill. You make a difference. You bring glory to the Father through the good works that you do. But do we hide in fear within the four walls of this facility? In John chapter 15, Jesus, He warns us that the world would hate us because the world hated Him. At the same time, Jesus calls us to be His witnesses, to proclaim through our life and through our actions and through our words the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. So the question this morning is this, how can we be effective in that witness? What is our game plan to win this war? Because we're in a war with the devil. And the devil is winning the community away from us. How can we make this community a better place to raise our children? How can we make this community a better place to live? How can we improve our community and give our children and grandchildren the very best possible community to grow up in? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 10. Because here in Nehemiah, I think we have some, uh, some ideas that we can use to, uh, to make our community better, to, to have a, a bigger impact, to have more influence over people around us. Look at verse 29, that passage that Billy shared with us. Verse 29, the people join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. What to do? To walk in God's law. The people of Israel, the people of Israel committed themselves first to God's law. A 91-year-old woman that I knew, she always read her Bible daily. A few of her friends would ask her. They, they knew that her memory was gone at her age and she could hardly remember what she had done that morning. They asked her, what good is it for you to read your Bible if you can't remember what you have read? To which she replied, well, you know, God has blessed me. I'm still in pretty good health. Uh, I've got a roof over my head. I've got plenty of food to eat. I've got children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that love me. In fact, my cup runneth over. I'm not concerned with my failing memory. I just do my reading, and God, He does the remembering. Amen, sister. We may forget... We may forget our own promises sometimes, but God never does. We don't succeed as Christians because we make promises to God. We succeed because we believe in the promises of God and we act upon them. The people of Israel here make a promise to God, but in just three short chapters later, in chapter 12, they're going to actually violate those promises. They're going to fail to keep their promise. But even so, here in chapter 10, 
You've got to admire their commitment to God's Word. In fact, they commit themselves to obedience in the very areas where they had failed. Look at verse 30. We will not, we will not give our daughters to the people of the land, that's the foreigners, the non-Jews, We'll not give our daughters to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. You see, my friend, this is what was happening. According to Ezra chapter 9, they were intermarrying into the Canaanite people that lived around them. God wanted them to be a mighty beacon of God's truth and love. And to do that, they needed to remain pure. But unfortunately, they were marrying outside and they were becoming more like their neighbors instead of their neighbors becoming more like them. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says it to us, the church. He said, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? We need to be pure. We need to stand for God in God's church. We don't need to become like the world. Next, they promised to keep the Sabbath, something they hadn't been doing. They promised to keep the Sabbath and the sabbatical year. Verse 31. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or in any holy day, and we will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. According to God's word, they were to plant no crops and to cancel every debt every seven years, the sabbatical year. But they hadn't been doing that for about 500 years. They promised to keep the weekly Sabbath along with the sabbatical year. They're promising to obey God's word, specifically in the areas where they have failed to keep it previously. Their conviction of their failing had led them to this commitment to God's law. Now for us, for me and you, we need to follow suit. We need to commit. Commit yourself to the Word of God. Resolve to keep God's Word, especially in areas where you are failing to keep it today. Where are you failing to keep God's Word. Could it be purity? Would you like to invite Jesus to sit on the couch in your house and watch the shows that you watch on TV? Is it truthfulness? Do you tell stories that are not true? Do you lie? The world may call them little white lies, but it's sin. There's no little sin to God. All is sin. Is it anger management? Do you say things that you regret and wish you hadn't said? 
Is it commitment to His Word? Are you a daily studier of God's Word? Or is God's Word only something you do on Sundays? Is it service? Are you failing in service? Are you primarily just a pew sitter? Or are you involved? Is it watered-down life principles? Can people see the difference that God makes in your life? Is it sowing seeds of discord? Are you a bringer together? Or are you a divider? Is it being negative? Are you an encourager or a discourager? Or is it you're isolated and you fail to take advantage of those opportunities that you have in your life to share the gospel with people through your words and through your actions. Have we become a non-factor because we're so isolated ourselves from our community? If we want to be effective witnesses, we must remain determined to pursue biblical principles 24-7. Independence, depending on the Spirit of God. You commit yourself to the Word of God. And then number two, you commit yourself to the house of God. Back then, it was the house of God, the temple. For us today, it's the local church. Are you determined to support the local gathering of believers to the best of your ability? Read verse 32. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. For the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offerings, the Sabbath, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. They were committing themselves to provide for the services of the temple. They were putting God's house, the house of God, and they were making it a priority in their life. Verse 34, We the priest, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of God, according to our father's houses, at times appointed, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. They were committing themselves to the house of God, to His cause, to His worship, to His service. Verses 35 through 39, nine different times in that passage, we will find these words. The house of our God. The house of the Lord. This house, the temple, was very important to those people. And they were determined not to neglect it anymore. Likewise, they were committing themselves to the house of God. And that's what we need to do today. If we're going to win the war for the souls of the people around us. America's hope is not found in its politicians, even though we need to elect good men and women to office. America's hope is not found in its economy, even though we need a strong economy. America's hope is not found in educational institutions, 
even though we do benefit from having good schools. No, America's hope is found in God's church, the Lord's church. The house of God today is the church, the people. That's you and me. Matthew chapter 16. And I tell you, Jesus speaking here, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the very early 1800s, a man traveled from Europe visiting our young country. He wanted to learn the secret of our greatness. He wrote, I sought for the greatness and the genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for her greatness in her fertile fields and her boundless forces, but it was not there. I sought for her greatness in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, but it was not there. I sought for her greatness in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, but it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her greatness. In the early days of our country, our nation was made great by the church, by Christians. Made great by the church that, that stood squarely and firmly on the word of God and, and was unapologetic about calling people to believe that word and to obey that word. In a movie that I have never seen and probably never will see, Russell Crowe played the part of Maximus in the movie Gladiator. There's one scene in that movie where he's down there on the floor of the Colosseum. He and his other gladiators have been called to represent the people of Carthage. They're going to reenact the battle between Rome and, and Carthage. And as they prepare to release the Roman soldiers to what they would believe to massacre Maximus and his other fellow gladiators. Maximus cried out, stay together, band together. They, they got into a tight circle. They held up their, their shields aloft. They had their spears ready by their side. Maximus said, whatever comes out of that gate, stay together. In a few moments, the gate opened and chariot upon chariot of Roman soldiers came out and still Maximus cried out, stay together. The instinct to scatter was strong, but they resisted that impulse. The spears and the arrows rained down on the men's wooden shields, but did there no harm to those gladiators. The chariots were about to tie the knot around them when Maximus shouted, Now! The gladiators attacked with their spears and swords and decimated the Romans. The self-serving emperor, he leans over to the man who organized the games and he said, in great sarcasm, My memory of Roman history is a little rusted, but didn't we beat... Carthage the first time? You know, that's pretty good advice. Stay together. 
Whatever comes out of the gate, stay together. That's good advice for you and for me. We need to lean on each other. The enemy is going to come at us with everything he has, but no matter what comes out of the gate, stay together. Commit yourself to the Word of God and commit yourself to the house of God, His church. Are you proud of the church? Often we talk about pride as being wrong, and yes, it can be wrong, but there's also a good side of pride. Are we proud of the church, God's church, and what she stands for? Are you proud of each other as brothers and sisters? Do we talk up the church, or do we talk down the church? The only way we can hope that our community will become Christian is for them to see the positive side of Christianity. But do they hear the negative more than the positive? Do we have on our menu fried elders and baked preachers and roasted members? Do we devour each other? The only positive way to impact our community and win the war that we're in is to paint the right picture of the church. A missionary and his wife serving in Africa woke up to a problem. A a very large snake, in fact about a 10-foot snake, had, had come into their house through an open door. They were terrified. They, they jumped up. They ran outside. They, they called for help. One of the local men came with a machete. He went in the house and he very quietly snuck up behind the snake. And with one sweep of his hand, he cut off the head of that snake. And when he did, the snake started thrashing back and forth because the, the snake... The snake didn't know that its head had been cut off. It was uh, reacting. The blood flow was still there. The neurology of the animal was such that he was still moving like you would, say, cut off the head of a chicken. The man quickly ran outside of the house and he reassured the missionaries, don't worry, the snake is dead. But it's going to take a few moments for the snake to realize that he's dead. So in those few moments, that snake kept on moving back and forth and destroying furniture and knocking down things onto the floor, creating great havoc inside that house. And the missionary and his wife outside, they were sweating in the sun, and and they were sad that the snake was doing so much damage. But finally, the missionary said, You know what? Don't you see it? Satan is a lot like that big old snake. He's already been defeated. He just doesn't know it yet. In the meantime, he's going to do some damage to our world. But never forget, he's already a goner. Sometimes we're frustrated, we're sickened by the damage that old snake, the devil, is doing in our world. And yes, our world is not better than it was, it's worse than it was. And we're tempted to lose all hope, but don't. Remember that Jesus has already crushed the serpent's head there on the cross. Satan's already defeated. He just doesn't realize it yet. But you do. So don't lose heart.
Are you part of God's church? Are you a member of his body? Are you a Christian? Do you believe? Will you repent, confess, and will you be baptized? Most of us here this morning, I look out among brothers and sisters that I deeply and dearly love. But sometimes as Christians, we can, we can bring shame back onto the Lord's church. Sometimes we can go back in the world and we sin. Isn't it wonderful that we can seek His forgiveness and He will forgive? The church is ready to pray with you if you feel that need. We want to do that. Will you please come this morning as we stand and sing for your encouragement?